0: To the Checkered to Green podcast with your hosts David Maudie and Elliot Tardif.
1: Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever and wherever you're listening to this. This is from Checkered to Green, the podcast all about racing, as told by three lifelong race fans, and from time to time talking about the business aspects of racing the green it takes to take the green welcome everyone to episode 28 i am david moddy alongside me is ryan kolpak elliot Tardiff is away at the moment um and hopefully he'll be joining us later in the show ryan good evening and how are you doing
0: oh good evening sir All things are going well on this side of New York, specifically the western side. Been a lovely Labor Day weekend and won't hear any complaints out of me.
1: Yeah, it definitely was a good Labor Day weekend. We had a nice day Saturday up here in in, in central New York. I'm sure you know, Western York had a nice day too. And I ended up getting to use my smoker again and made a chuck roast on there that came out beautiful nice smoke ring good taste and um um I was you know cutting it off and trying a little piece and you know if anyone's ever seen restaurant impossible when Robert Irvine makes a really good dish and go you know starts like making all these oh wow noises and all this oh that was me in the kitchen so my wife kind of laughed at that because i said i was about to go rubber irvine on this but yeah it was fun it was good you know good labor day and you know a good good weekend rest and you know what ryan we had some really good racing this weekend that we did sir so let's kick it off we we've got to talk about Darlington and we had Formula One and we had the cup guys in Darlington we also had the trucks and the um, Xfinity guys Sheldon Creed won the truck race Noah Gregson won the Xfinity race but it was the cup race that really took the show Last night, Sunday night on this Labor Day weekend, you know, Darlington going back to the two races this year, one in the spring, one in the the fall, the Labor Day classic, as you always call it. I mean, this would be equivalent to what the Indy 500 is for NASCAR. This is this was the cookout Southern 500. It was not throwback weekend. That was in May of this year, but it was really good racing. Started a little after 6 o'clock and, according to Bob Pacras, was the longest race of the year. Longer than the um, Coca-Cola 600 time-wise. A little over four hours. They ran 367 laps. So if you look at it, it is technically the second longest race out there on the circuit. And tires, tires, tires were the were the issue going into this. Um, they they had to do some patchwork in turn two where they um the track was coming up. They put um put a new strip, like a big strip of asphalt down. And remember, there was no practice or qualifying. So nascar ended up bringing two thousand sets and a lot of drivers thought this was like the the darlington 1000 the way it took so fatigue um can set in in these longer races but tires were a a issue and it didn't get off good in the beginning right off um early on one of your ch- playoff contenders, um, the number 48 of Alex Bowman, gone to the wall. William Byron went to go miss him and, and clipped him. Then another playoff contender, Michael McDowell, crashed on the backstretch. So already, Within 32 laps of the race, according to Racing Reference.info, two of the playoff contenders were already in trouble, and it was not a good night for the playoff contenders watching this race. Um, James Davison and Cody Weir got into an accident, and this was lap 48, so within 48 laps, you already had three accidents, and then the big thing of the night was kyle bush um his car lost it got into austin dillon and this was in um, turn two and he just pancaked i mean darlington's known for the darlington stripe but he just pancaked the rear end and that was it um we'll have some thoughts about this in, in the final thoughts but They told him to take it to the garage. He came in pretty hot into the garage, a hot pit area, um, took out a couple cones, almost ended up actually hitting a couple people flying into the garage area. And then in his interview after, um, kept, you know, just cursing on air and, and was just was just beyond pissed i mean he was saying this that, and um he he was just pissed and you know dale earnhardt had to apologize for for the you know the cursing on nbc sports but yeah that that was actually um it was actually pretty interesting and that was around lap 126 when that happened um again we'll have more of that in the final thoughts um no, nope, no call to the hauler about that, but I can, I can touch base on that a little bit, but then you also had debris on the French stretch. Well, Christopher Bell hit that. So already one, two, three, four of the playoff contenders were involved. Truex had a penalty. Harvick um, had a tire goat, uh, had a loose wheel. Um William Byron had a valve stem go to lose a valve stem and he had a really hard accident, hard hit in turn one. He was okay. That was about lap 201 and then around lap 320 Ryan Blaney spins another playoff contender and then um, Christopher Bell and Chase Elliott both have an accident around lap 328 and then it was a a shootout at the end um at that point um Danny Hamlin had started Carl Larson was doing very well he led quite a bit through the night and all of a sudden um Danny's car was just better in the end it was better on the long run, runs. He took care of the tires. Uh, Kyle Larson in, in State Street did a three-stop strategy. Dang Hamlin did two, and that kind of that was the difference. Hamlin could do it, but coming near the end, Kyle Larson. Words of Larson: I video-gamed it going into four, taking the high side, and Hamlin came up. And Larson was smart. He did not want to spin out Danny Hamlin. Hamlin wins the race. Um, the the margin of victory was 0.212 seconds. Hamlin wins it. He led 146 laps. Larson led 156. Those were your two, according to Racing Reference. Ross Chastain had a shot to win it. And then it was Truex, Harvick, Kurt Busch, Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano, Chris Chris Busher and Austin Dillon ran out of your top, uh, ran or were your top 10, round out of your top 10. Other nobles in the playoffs with the Chase, Eric Almorola was 16th, Tyler Reddick was 18th, Christopher Bell was 20th, Ryan Blaney was 22nd, Alex Bowman 26th, Chase Elliott had that crash, was 31st. Byron was thirty fourth with the crash. Kyle Busch was thirty fifth with the crash, and Michael McDowell was thirty seventh. But a lot of good racing there. It was exciting near the end, and but it was just Danny Hamlin. And one thing with Kyle Larson's car, um, the way he really got a Darlington stripe on it, and the way he cra- um, the way he like essentially almost drove it through the wall to try to win it um they had to tow truck it back to the hauler uh the inspector the official was looking through it they had tow truck it to to get but the official was looking through it looking at his car when they were interviewing him on NBC and he goes to the other side and he just shakes his head and walks away but yeah that that was pretty good Ryan, your your thoughts about it
0: Well, first, this has been another late season race of attrition, as showed by the significant casualty list on the race results. And I'm not entirely sure what the deal was with the tires this race, but I swear they were out to get everyone. Nothing more than pure dumb luck spared some of these drivers from sharing the fate of those who felt the wrath of the angry tire.
1: Well, I think that's, I think that's Darlington is that Darlington. It, it, it I mean, it hasn't been paved in a while, so it, it's, it is rough on tires, but here's the thing. Danny Hamlin gets his first win of the year at this race at this one. It. And he didn't win in the regular season. So this is really good momentum for him going into the playoffs and it locks him into the next round he advances to the next round so he could have a crappy day at richmond he could have a crappy day at bristol two tough tracks that that you know is it's good to define you i mean we, we kind of were saying at darlington if you don't have a good day in the last episode um it, it could be tough for you in the playoffs, but it is. I mean, they, Darley, they compare Hamlin to David Pearson, and the way he, he goes, the way he runs, it, it's been really good. So, it, um, you know, it, it's one of his bar tracks. I know there's things going on about his girlfriend, or, or I, I believe his girlfriend or his wife um that's kind of hit twitter this week um uh we we don't know what's going on so for him to come out there and stay focused and not let outside distractions get him that's really good so congrats to him larson i mean darlington just got the hendrick cars and um except for larson but that was some sick move that larson was trying to do at the
0: uh oh he was uh, driving like a man possessed He he was. if it wasn't for the merest fraction of a second we could be seeing him taking that checkered flag because he he wanted it you could see by the way he drove
1: and that's the thing if hamlin would have came if hamlin didn't come out he was going to do that now larson likes to run the high side well you do a lot of that in sprint car racing too and man he, I mean, he knows how to do it because you can do that in sprint car racing because the groove can, you can ride the wall like that. So
2: it's yeah, the truth. It,
1: it really good. Um, the thing about Kyle Busch, a lot of feedback we'll, we'll talk about in our final thoughts uh, about, you know, his interview and what he did and what we think should happen was not called to the NASCAR hauler. We'll refrain our comments for final thoughts of uh, Ryan with this, but
0: can work with that.
1: But um, according to Bob Pakris today on Twitter, he did say that he is um, NASCAR is going just like every race weekend. They review everything, and that will probably be on the docket. So we will we will see if something comes out from that uh this week if there is any penalty for essentially um driving recklessly through a hot pit so with that um with that elliot's actually joining us right now when he comes on we're gonna we're gonna ask him his thoughts about darlington elliot hey thanks for joining welcome and how are you doing
2: Doing well, doing well. Um, you'll forgive my, uh, my voice being a little quiet. And, um, I don't know if I've mentioned this in past podcast episodes, but, um, my son's nursery is in the room right next door. And I just laid him down to go to sleep a short time ago. And so I, even though, you know, doors are closed and everything, um, as a matter of of good practice, I try and keep my voice down a little bit. So, um, so we got um, so he, so he's sleeping, and um, now I can uh, jump on. So, uh, gentlemen, good evening.
1: good evening. Good evening, sir. So we, uh, Ryan, and I have been talking about Darlington. We're 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 glad you're you're able to join us. Well, yeah, we, we did mention to our, our listeners listening to this that you would be joining on. So why don't you, we, we just talked about Danny Hamlin getting his first win of the year. Why don't you tell us your thoughts about it? Um, reserve Kyle Busch to final thoughts here, but tell us what you thought about um, Darlington. Oh,
2: well, Darlington kind of solidified what we've talked about on past episodes um, in terms of like the overriding theme going into the, the playoffs and ultimately the championship, I think in that it's going to be Gibbs versus Hendrick. So in one way that was, that was, you know uh, in one way that played out Sunday night, but in other ways it didn't because Yes, we had Larson versus Hamlin, as essentially we've had all year, but we didn't have the surrounding cast of drivers for either Hendrick or Gibbs be a factor in the, the um, ultimate outcome of this race. Chase Elliott, William Byron, and Alex Bowman all ran into trouble and were either out of the race or didn't contend. Kyle Busch had his troubles. Christopher Bell um, had problems and and wasn't a contender. Um, and Martin Truex, I think, um, may have finished well. Um, may have ended up finishing well, but um, but they were kind of dealing with with issues all night as well. So at the end of the night, um, at the end of the night, it was it was Hamlin and Larson. And, and give Larson credit for you know, the full send into, into three and four on the final lap. I mean, this is a Southern 500. This is one of the crown jewels of, of NASCAR. You need to do something. If you have anything left in the chamber on the last lap, you use it. And especially if it even remotely puts you in a position in the race. And that's what he did. And uh, looking at social media later, I didn't see anybody that faulted him or, uh, you know, thought ill of him for doing what he did. And you know what, that's what makes this sport so exciting. And, uh, because you never know, you know, somebody could do something like that and maybe just maybe pull out a win, or if they don't pull out a win and they take out the front runner, maybe somebody else does. And I can imagine Ross Chastain was saying, please, he slide up into him. <laughs> please let me let him slide up into him. And, you know, what? how much of a headline would that have been for Larson and Hamlin to, to reckon three and four on the last lap of the Southern 500 and Ross Chastain slip by and claim his first career win in cup?
1: Yeah, that that would be interesting, and I, I think the one the one thing is, and and Ryan and I were, were talking about this because we knew tires were, you know, tires were a issue going, you know, with Darlington and and a lot of the drivers, you know, two three pit stops debating and and just making sure and a lot of playoff contenders having those tire issues, but. The one thing I I think is, and with Larson, is that dirt racing, I mean, he almost create. I mean, in, in dirt racing and sprint car racing, you create a groove up near the wall, and he almost put a new groove at Darlington by knocking down that wall, but yeah, that was, I mean, to tow truck it back to inspection just tells you he put everything out on it. And yeah, yeah. that that was amazing.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah, he was, I mean, he spent, you talk about a new groove. Um, I mean, he spent so much time kissing the wall up there in three and four. I thought they were going to have to rate the race TV 14 and not just (laughs) for, uh, for language on the part of Kyle Busch either.
1: Uh, (laughs) Yeah, we we, we kind of got into. We're gonna talk about um, Kyle Busch and final thoughts here. But yeah, that mm-hmm. um, yeah that that was interesting. But yeah, great race. And mm-hmm. earlier in the day, we had a, another great race, and that was the Dutch Grand Prix. And gentlemen, did, gentlemen, did any of you watch that besides me?
2: Maybe. I had a, I, I managed to watch a little bit of it enough to know that, um, uh, to have an idea of what the outcome of it was. Could a couple of the storylines. Um,
1: I would, I wish they would take the Fox gyro cam that they used to have and stick on one of those cars because oh. that thing looked like a, that track looked like a roller coaster. And I know what they mean. I'm like, holy crow. Yeah, that was a cool, I'm like, man, they need to run like IndyCar stack car here, something. Jeez,
2: I would be very curious to know how long of uh, preparation time it took for Pirelli to do all the sim, do all the, the homework heading into that race weekend to put a tire together that stood up to the, the loads that they were putting on well, those
1: they, tires they and those went, bank corners. They went the three hot hardest compounds. Literally, the hardest compound, they went C1, C2, C3. So they went hardest, medium hard, and a medium tire was the softest. But it was a great race. Two three-step strategies came in. Gentlemen, I... This was amazing, and again, Verstappen, Hamilton, Mercedes, Red Bull. As if and, we
0: expected any less.
1: Oh, and Max Verstappen wins it. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Lewis Hamilton was second. He couldn't catch him. He had issues with traffic. Verstappen was like, Going through traffic like a, a hot, hot knife, knife through butter. butter. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crow. He and, and that track doesn't have much passing, but I, I I will give you the um Aston Martin, I, I believe it was oh no, it wasn't that. It was the uh, um of uh, the Alpine. I I uh where's her car? Um Where's Alonzo with? Yeah, Alpine
0: Renault.
1: Uh, no. Oh yeah. yeah, Alpine. The way they, the way they went through the corner, um, like turned to. Oh my gosh, the they. I mean, the passing was was smooth. Like no one really crashed. No one, you know, everyone respected each other. But it was amazing. But for wins it, Hamilton second. Bottas third, Gasly fourth, Leclerc fifth, Alonzo sixth, Sang seventh, Perez eighth, after starting at the end of the pack due to a tire uh, engine change, Esteban Acon ninth, Lando Norris tenth, Ricardo eleventh, Stroll twelfth, Vettel thirteenth, Gio, Giovinazzi, Giovinazzi. yeah, mm-hmm. fourteenth, Kubica 15th, Latifi 16th, Russell went out 17th with Gearbox. Mick Schumacher was um, three laps on 18th, and Sonoda and Mazepin did not finish due to um, car issues. But um, Bottas had um, to make Camel had, had clicked in the fastest lap, even though they told him to back down going into the third sector. Mom carried bodice um you know word coming out today that he is going and we'll, we'll touch base on this when we get more details what's happening but um with um Kimi going to retire at the end of the season bodice is going to Alpha Romero Romero um to take that seat um Ward is Russell's going to Mercedes we'll kind of get more details in future episodes when that all unfolds um, as musical chairs have already begun for next year. But again, Verstappen did it. He takes the lead in the points. He's three points ahead now of Lewis Hamilton. Hamilton got the fastest lap. So it would have been four, but Hamilton gets it. But in the Constructors, Mercedes is up by 12 point
0: Gentlemen, what did you think
1: of the race?
0: I can only imagine how many Gs some of these drivers were pulling, hitting those turns as hot as they did a couple of times. And as you said, getting that uh, camera mount on one of those cars next year when they go there, you, you'd start to learn why this track separates the men from the bobbleheads.
1: Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, Elliot, your thoughts?
2: Um, this race looked like it was... Wildly popular and um, huge crowd. Everybody looked like they were having a great time. Um, It was uh, turning a lot of people's heads around on social media, Um, uh, especially um, people that are in the, uh, you know, people in in NASCAR, people in IndyCar, people outside of Formula One, um, especially here stateside, that were looking at this race and saying, this looks interesting. I need to go see this. So, um, I, I think there were, I counted at least two or three that um, were very complimentary of, of this race and the excitement around it. Um, in terms of the end result, Verstappen is back. Red Bull is back. And, um, you know, we've talked about this before. It was a wide open championship after Silverstone. And I think from here on in, and we're, you know, we saw this, um, this weekend, you're going to have these two heavyweights in Verstappen and Hamilton trading blows for the rest of the year. And it's, it's, I would be extraordinarily surprised to see the points get more than say five or 10, um, either way until the, the last part of the season, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, this, this this shows that um, that Red Bull has found their mojo again. At least with Verstappen, um, they need to. Uh, you know, Perez needs to write the ship um, for for his part, and especially for the manufacturers championship. Um, and you know, yeah, uh, you know, botas uh, you know there was the controversy about the fastest lap there, but you know what? If that's the biggest controversy they're dealing with, then they're doing all right, especially with respect to you know both of those drivers still finishing well um, and you know bringing home a lot of points in the manufacturer's side. So um, that's a lot better than some other teams um, are doing right now.
1: I, I, I gotta I gotta touch base on that point a little bit. I I think you know I think if it I, I think with Red Bull, I think it'd be nice for them to win the constructors Championship and Perez has to get out of that funk and get in the points. I mean he had a nice save yesterday, which ended up with four points and for a while he did have the fastest lap. But I think the one thing is is if for, for Red Bull, if they don't win the Constructors' Championship, I don't think that's going to bother them. I think Mercedes, I think Bottas is going to you know, be driven to help win that Constructors' Championship. But I think if Red Bull comes out and Verstappen wins the, the World Championship and Mercedes wins the Constructors' I think that's, a, I, I think that's inter, that will be a, a fantastic end, end result for Red Bull because they stopped Lewis Hamilton. And someone finally dethroned him of his dominance and could challenge for him. But yeah, that was amazing. Great racing. They're getting into a good stretch. It's going to get much better with that. But with that said... We're actually are up on to a break. When we come back, we have, Elliot's going to lead a very special spotlight. We are going to talk about the 24 Hours of Le Mans. This is From Checker to Green.
0: The From Checker to Green podcast will be right back. Enjoying what you're hearing? Join the conversation. Find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search the From Checker to Green podcast. Is there a particular segment you enjoy? Tell us. Is there a topic you'd like us to discuss? Let us know. Your feedback helps generate content to drive our show. And if you're enjoying this episode, listen to the rest of our library. You can find that on podcasts.com and Apple Podcasts. Once again, just look for the From Checker to Green podcast. And now, back to the From Checker to Green podcast.
2: Thank you, Ryan. Our spotlight for this week focuses on the recent running of the 24 hours of Le Mans in France and the, some of the storylines that came into it, came out of it, and who all won and uh, what some of these um, uh, classes of cars translate to for the future. So with that, let's go ahead and jump into it, gentlemen. Um, this year, the uh, what was known as the LMP1 um, class, um, apparently there had been some, uh, problems with, um, manufacturer participation and, uh, costs, um, cost overruns, uh, making, being a part of, of that class of cars pretty difficult. So I guess they, um, they took that series or they, they took that class of cars and changed it from what was called LMP one before, um, to a class of cars called hypercars now, um, and these uh, these class of cars were the ones fighting for the overall win, um, as they were, you know, clearly the the fastest class of cars throughout the um, uh, the entirety of the uh, event, and there there were three different teams that submitted entries for the twenty four hour of Le Mans. You had Toyota, Glickenhaus, and then Alpine put in a an entry as well. Uh, um, and the Toyota cars were the class of the field, uh, hypercar class, as well as the rest of the the grid um, throughout the throughout the entirety of the of the event, um, the practice sessions, qualifying, et cetera, and remain so throughout the race and the Two Toyota Gazoo Racing entries finished 1-2 on the day. Um, The winning car was the number seven, which was driven by Mike Conway, Kami Kobayashi, and Jose Maria Lopez. The second place entry was driven by Sebastian Buemi, Kazuki Nakajima, and Brendan Hartley. Um, Alpine's entry finished third, which was driven by Andre... Negrau, Nicolas Lapierre, and Matthew Vassivier. I think that's the proper pronunciation. He's um, uh, Lapierre and Vassivier, uh, both from France. Um, Glickenhaus finished fourth and fifth. um, And the fourth place entry was driven by Pippo Durrani, Frank Malieu, and Olivier Pla. Fifth place was driven by uh, Ryan Briscoe, Richard Westbrook, and Romain Dumas. In LMP2, um, it was the Areca 07 driven by Robin F- Frins, Ferdinand Hopsburg, and Charles Milesi that won uh, the LMP2 class. The LMGT Pro um, was won by a Ferrari 488 driven by Alessandro Pier Guidi. James Calado and Kome Ledogar. Um, The next was the Innovative car that was won by the Eureka 07, uh, driven by Takuma Aoki, Nigel Bailey, and Matthew Lehai. Um, I'm probably butchering some of these pronunciations, so uh, please go easy on me. (laughs) Um, And then you had the... LMGTE AM series, um, and that one was won by another Ferrari 488, um, driven by Francois Perotto, Niklas Nielsen, Alessio Rivera, and Alessio Rivera, I'm sorry. Um, and then finally, um, and these are all according to motorsport.com, by the way. Um, and I think that was that was it as far as all the different classes went.
1: I, so, I think they had a they every year they have a special class come into, and they only had one of those, and that was um, Association SRT 40, uh, 41 um, th- This this I, I think it's this conditional class or something. I'm not sure what C D N T is um but there was only one entry but this was the class this was that experimental class that the delta wing car ran under so many years ago um there was only one entry of that and that was uh, again that was takuma
0: Aoki.
1: Aoki, thank you. Nigel Bailey and Matthew LaHaye.
2: Okay, um, so I'm circling back around to the hypercar class for a minute. Um, according to um, according to Wikipedia, there are, um, as we mentioned um, in for for this this year's running of the twenty four hour. You had Toyota and you had Scuderia, Glickenhaus. Um, and then you also had another entry from Alpine. Um, next year, Peugeot and Baikalis, um, which was apparently formerly known as Kadewa GmbH and company. Um, I guess they're a, a, a German-based team. Uh, and again, this is all according to Wikipedia. Um they're going to be joining the hypercar class. And then in 2023, Ferrari is going to be joining. So this for whatever they're doing, um, in terms of, I guess, resurrecting what was formerly known as LMP one, um, it's working. And, you know, you've got uh, a class of cars that is just going to continue to get more and more exciting as we move into the future. So, um let's talk about the toyota gazoo cars for a minute because they i guess they had some, some sort of fuel issue um and i think it was with the seven car in particular um that they've had in the past and it cropped up on them again and during the running of the 24 hour and from what i read and i'll find the the citation here in a minute um when it's happened to them in the past it's knocked them out of winning contention and this time they were able to find a a workaround of some kind that allowed them to remain in front um and you know reduce the amount of time they spent in the pits and stay in the lead and and win the race so um so that was um particularly notable for them um and uh dominated start to finish. Um, but, but they made it look easy, even though it it, you know, behind the scenes it really wasn't. So uh gentlemen, your thoughts?
1: Well I gotta say the race I mean the race was really good. You know, I caught bits and pieces. I, I caught the start. I mean it started under rain. So they did have a safety car. Um you know the way the rain was there um in, in le mans it was um you know they they started safety car wise but then i i caught some of it late at night when when they when it was dark you know kept seeing the 7 in the lead you know and then i actually ended up catching the final hour of the race And that was really good for Toyota. Their first win ever, um, they were a couple laps ahead of the number eight. So they kind of did a, um, you know, if you've ever saw the movie Ford First Ferrari, what Ford did when they won their first 24-hour Le Mans, um, they did a photo finish together, kind of all three cars coming out of line and and that's what toyota did in their first win um really great uh the racing was good um I, i feel bad in lmp2 team wrt um car 41 was actually leading and had it with robert kubica driving and actually had a issue right at the end handed their win for to their teammate but yeah it was really good um it, it was carried on the motor trend channel here so i got to watch it which it's been a few years since i've watched the 24 hours le mans but yeah really good, uh, really good racing. I like that hypercar class. It'll be really interesting to see more cars come into that and more drivers do that down the road.
2: Yep. Um, and to jump back in here real quick, so um, uh, according to autosport.com, an article written by Gary Watkins, um, the issue that um, the Toyota Gazoo team ran into, was one that uh, they had at Monza and it knocked them out of contention for the win that day. Um, and what was the, the long and short of it was that it threatened to reduce the amount of time that uh, they were out on track. They would have had to come in um, for more frequent pit stops. But uh, they said that instead of going into the garage for 45 minutes or longer to fix the issue they were able to come up with some sort of workaround they didn't disclose what it was exactly but um they were able to um, get creative um and you know david you talked about ford versus ferrari and some of the ingenuity they had sounds like um the the toyota team was able to do something similar here to resolve the issue in a sufficient way to be able to stay out front um, and not take a very long time on pit road. Ryan, your thoughts? Well, first of all, massive,
0: massive congratulations. Aren't enough to give all the props to Toyota for that extremely impressive win. And I kept watch of it frequently as it was going on. I didn't just you know sit and listen and watch the whole thing because life But still, it got to a point where I was expecting the uh, number seven car to be coming around and seeing them driving with one hand on the wheel, one hand leaning on the windowsill because they made it look easy. And to them, that's the mark of talented drivers. One interesting technical point I'd like to point out across the entire hypercar class, the Toyota cars were their engine. They were running a 3.5 liter V6 twin turbo hybrid. Now, why that's important is because every other vehicle in the same class was running a 3.5-liter V8 turbo. So not only did they win with impressive fashion, but they also run using a technically smaller engine. So they managed to conquer that class with two fewer cylinders. So to that, well done, Toyota. And to think of, you know,
1: touch base on the whole pit stop strategy, according to the 24-hour Le Mans website, Toyota Gazoo Racing, um, Car 7 pitted 33 times, Car 8 pitted 37, Alpine pitted 31, Glickenhaus, um, had 28 and 29 respectively so ellie you touched based on that fuel issue they pitted more and yet they still um conway's car had 371 laps they were two laps ahead of their team and then four laps ahead of alpine and Glickenhaus's first entry um and then seven laps ahead of the second click and house car. So, yeah, they, whatever they, whatever they came up with to figure out that fuel issue, whatever they did, um, you know, whether it was just, you know, who knows what they, you know, what they did, you know, you're never going to give away your, your best secrets when, when you figure something out, you know, unless you're in partnership with other teams and, you know, such and such, um, I mean, you might share, you know, technical secrets here, but yeah, it's, I mean, 371 laps and that's what they were predicting was, you know, the announcers um, uh, was it, who covered the broadcast for, for that? Was it sky?
2: Uh, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think it was sky um, sports, which does phenomenal formula one coverage. Um, did great, did great 24 hour Mans coverage. And it, it was, it was really good. You know, I, I love it. I wish I could pull a full 24 hour watch of this but you, you can only catch so much I mean but it is a, it is a f- f- fantastic race um, to see
2: yep um, and also looking here um, so this particular car the 7 car um, in another auto sport article written by Philip Clarine I think um, they talked with Jose Maria Lopez, who was one of the winning drivers on the seven car. And Toyota's had a a uh, some number of times where victory has kind of slipped through their fingers here in recent years. And so this was a, um, a long time coming for them. And it was um, the talking about the fuel issue. Um, he was saying that, they had to do a lot of things in the car um to resolve the issue and apparently it was very stressful so um but they were able to figure out a way to to get it done
1: well i think that i think that just goes to the technology of these cars nowadays that you can change you know the these steering wheels are sold digitized in mm-hmm. indie car formula 1 it, it, grand prix um you know grand prix racing endurance racing that you can change fuel mapping you've got a button to flick the lights you've got the shifter paddles you've got you know you know if you need a drink you could push that if you need you know if you need to do this if you're pitting you've got that but you can change the mappings and you know, it's frustrating because when when you have a fuel issue or that you're, you know, you're playing with the mapping. You you're trying to figure out, okay, well, what do I need? You know, what what mapping do I need? You know, what where am I going? This and this was Simon Pagenaud in 2019 at Indy when he kept short pitting because he he was burning fuel. They couldn't figure out where he had to be you know how many notches did you have to go back to get enough fuel to be in contention so yeah it's it's amazing and um technology has come a long way
2: (laughs) you want to talk about technology coming a long way and what is coming for the future um so according to Gary Watkins of Autosport, um, there is another challenger coming to the hypercar class um, years down the line. This is Team Velox, Mm -hmm. V-E-L-O-Q-X. And it's headed up by a gentleman named Sam Lee. Um, And this was a team that um, brought the... Uh, Audi R-A-L-M-P-1 prototypes to Le Mans and other areas, um, uh, to Le Mans and other tracks, um, including Sebring, where they won and then uh, took the runner-up spot at Le Mans. Uh, They had stepped away for a while, uh, but they're going to come back in the coming years. And one thing that they're um, trying to do is... um, come back with an engine that is zero emissions so that's going to be really really interesting it's going to be a biofuel um hypercar wow yep so funny uh, because i would have bet my money
0: that they were working on a hydrogen car
2: but that's me yeah Uh, that that might be coming for down the road but hey um
0: if they're going to go
1: biofuel, um, we got 800 pound butter sculpture here at the New York State
0: Fair they can use to test. There you go. Hey, reduce, reuse, recycle. Yep. Yeah.
2: By the way, speaking of Alpine, um, they brought a Formula One car uh, with Fernando Alonso. To oh,
1: I saw that.
2: Yep so that could be very interesting going forward if they start running uh formula one cars at that that would be a lot of fun Um,
1: that that that's literally 14 laps uh ring um for you because it'll be so long that mm -hmm. i mean if they do that i mean you're looking at a 14, you know, you're looking at a 10 to 15 lap race.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah,
1: that would be interesting.
2: Or or just running Formula One cars in the 24 hour. It hasn't been without precedent that other um, successful uh, racing series have attempted to field entries in Le Mans and endurance racing. And I think back to the 70s. um, And uh, I think it might have been Junie Donlevy's team uh, brought mm-hmm. a, an entry over to, to Lamont. So you never know.
1: Yeah. hey, who knows? For challenge where one. they find
2: a where they put the headlights but you
0: know
2: uh, the technology they have they, they'd probably be able to figure out a way.
1: Oh
0: L- yeah LEDs are light and can fit them just about anywhere.
2: so yes that is true. That's
1: true. That is true. That, that, is, that is definitely true, but yeah, it'll be interesting.
2: Yep. So with that, um, we are going to take a quick break here. And on the other side of it, we're going to go green. We're going to talk about some, speaking of interesting, some very interesting race weekends coming up. Uh, we've got NASCAR in Richmond for round the playoffs for the cup series. We've got formula one in Italy. An IndyCar going back to Portland, so a lot to talk about there. Looking forward to talking about the other side of this break. This is from Checker to Green.
0: We'll be right back to the From Checker to Green podcast. Looking to make your business stand out among your competitors? Consider Samurai Graphics. Samurai Graphics has the resources and the knowledge to make your business identity unique out in the world. Options from logo designs, business cards, and letterheads to advertising options such as postcards, flyers, labors, and banners. Things that can make you stand out and get your name out to where it needs to be to your customers. For more information, contact Samurai Graphics at samurai Graphics 716 at gmail.com. Samurai Graphics, your business design solution. And now we're back to the From Checker to Green podcast.
1: Thank you, Ryan. And welcome back to the From Checker to Green podcast. We've got a great green segment. As Elliot mentioned, we have a very busy racing weekend coming up. And let's start with Saturday. This coming Saturday night, Elliot. Let's talk about Richmond. Take it away.
2: Yeah. Uh, so this is round two of the, uh, the playoffs for the Cup Series, um, and a lot of um, a lot riding on the line uh, for this one. Um, you know, obviously you've got some teams like um, uh, like Bowman, Michael McDowell, um, and others that really, really, really need a strong finish um, out of this race. But in terms of handicapping the threats for the win, um, historically, this has been a Toyota, and in particular, a Gibbs dominant track. According to racingreference.info, going back to uh, 2015, Toyota has won seven times at this track. here recently, it was Brad Keselowski in uh, in 2020, and then Alex Bowman winning uh, the first race here in uh, or the the first race at Richmond in 2021. So Hendrick, as we have seen throughout the season, trying to um, edge, um, take away for Hendrick trying to um, take a little bit of Gibbs dominance um, at some tracks. So. I think once again, this will be one of those races where it's going to be a Gibbs versus Hendrick, um, Gibbs versus Hendrick, for the win. The next question is: okay, as we saw in Darlington, do we see the Fords show up? Um, and you know, because they did. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick had a solid run all evening and finished fifth, I believe it was. Um, uh, uh, Eric Almarola. Had a good run. Um, ended up finishing 16th, first uh, first car one lap down. Um, but this is another place that you know it's it's um, you know it's not a speedway, and you know they could very well uh, do well here also. So um, this track, I don't think necessarily rewards people who like to run the top of the, the track very much. So I don't feel like this is going to necessarily reward, uh, like a Tyler Reddick or maybe even a Kyle Larson. I think he may still, uh, Larson may still contend anyway, just because that team has been rock stars all year. So we'll see, but, um, but I don't see Reddick doing well here. Um, and then, you know, what do the team Penske guys do? Um, you know, the, like I said, Keselowski won here in 2020. So, um, you know, if they, um, uh, so if if you know they have um, you know some solid cars here, then who knows? One of them could sneak sneak out a win too. We saw that a couple of weeks ago at, at Michigan with Ryan Blaney edging out the very fast but ultimately dueling Hendrick cars right at the end. So we'll see. And then you know this also being Richmond, Virginia, and there's a guy that just won at Darlington, Denny Hamlin, and so. Um, this could be an interesting one for him. And, you know, do we see Kyle Busch rebound? That'll be another thing to follow too.
1: I think it's going to be interesting. I mean, the stage breakdown is 80 235, and then the 400 laps. Um, you're right. Elliot it is a toy, It's been a Gibbs dominance track. Toyota always has had great success here. Um, you know, I, I think with Hamlin, I mean, looking at the, you know, looking at the playoff picture and, and everything going on, um, you know, right now, looking at, um, you know, thinking what happened in, in Darlington, you know, there's a lot of teams who have their backs against the walls right now. And if you think about it, um with with everything going on i mean there's no practice no qualifying you know it's going to be that metric system and when you look at it and you look at the the points you know drivers are going to, you know there's going to be drivers who are going to need to have a good day here um william byron's going to need a good day mcdowell's going to be needs a good day um Kyle Busch, Reddick, Bowman, Elmarola, Chase Elliott probably is going to need a good day because the next track you have is Bristol. So, you know, Richmond tends to be that, stri- that strategy track. If you get a bad draw, which, you know, Kyle Busch, Chase Elliott, You know, a lot of these drivers in the playoffs are gonna have a bad draw because of the metrics, which means if they go down a lap early, their strategy's out the window. You've gotta you gotta you know open up the notebook, you've gotta figure out what strategy you're going on. You're gonna need three, maybe five, maybe different types of strategies just just to be competitive. Um I don't I know I can see uh Gibbs doing well. Do I see Denny Hamlin winning it again? I mean he he can, but I think this is a track that he a lot of pressures off of him winning. And and that's what I think. But I I can see either Gibbs or Hendrick cars doing well there.
2: Mm -hmm. Ryan, your thoughts? Oh, I have no
0: doubt in my mind that the duel between Joe Gibbs and Hendrick is going to continue in this race. It's just going to be a matter of, you know, who has the winning strategy, as you put it, Dave. The, The big deal is going to be, you know, planning and planning and planning and a little bit more planning sprinkled on there for good measure. And the more backup plans you have, the better your odds. And at this point, it could fall to nothing more than pure dumb luck.
1: Most certainly. I mean, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, I, I'm going to – I'll be honest, come Saturday night, I'm listening to one of the four guys who's on the bubble. I'm going to listen to their radio feed and see what, you know, what their strategy is, because it'll, it'll be very interesting to see how things, you know, you know, unfold through the night.
2: Yep. Um, and then also you've got, um, the Xfinity guys they're going to be there um this is um this track has been just an all Allgaier's playground lately um uh him sweeping both race wins here in 2020 so uh before that it was Christopher Bell and Cole Custer for Gibbs and Stuart Haas respectively um so this one I think there's in terms of manufacturer, I think there's a little bit more variability there but um Clearly, there's been some recent history of junior motorsports doing well here, and with Noah Gregson finally getting off the Schneid and collecting his first win of the year this past Saturday, that's a team that, just as we saw with Kyle Larson earlier this year, that we're starting to see with Ryan Blaney as well, uh, both on the Cup side. If this team can shake off the bad luck and the black cloud that's been hanging over their head all year, um, then they could do something big as well. So that'll be interesting to, to watch that one as well. But, um, looking elsewhere in the motorsports community, we've also got uh, a big formula one race coming up in Italy this weekend, the historic Monza racetrack. So, um, Ryan, why don't you take it away and, and talk to us about this race and um, handicap who we think some of the favorites might be.
0: You got it. Now, with that, coming back to Monza, the track layout, as to me, always you know favored those with slightly heavier foot. Surprisingly, the lap record, despite increased technology, has been set back in 2004 by Rubens Barrichello with a lap time of 1 minute 21.046 seconds. So you got to admit, that's a hard number to beat. But uh, I wouldn't put it past any of the drivers coming up this round, especially, you know, the three favorite people that we like to talk about for a good chunk of the season. Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas, and of course, you know, the person who won the last race who's definitely coming in on a hot streak, and that would be Max Verstappen. So will it be uh, rinse and repeat as we've seen in times before with those three hanging around the front, possibly. But uh, assuming that—that's an awfully dangerous assumption to make in Formula One. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: I, I I think it. I mean, I think it's going to be very interesting. This weekend, it's one of the longer tracks, so it's a shorter lapse. It's 53 laps. Um, and, you know, there's going to be two DRS zones, so I think DRS is going to come really into play this weekend. But it is Monza. It is a, um, I mean, it's a really good track. Um, look for four and five that little hairpin chicane area to be something same with one and two um, you know to have a, a kind of a factor especially at the start and then you got eight nine and ten but it kind of gets more wide open out in in a lot of these corners Um, it, it will be very very interesting and And according to the Formula One website, they say the circuit is rapidito, um, which is, I mean, it's fast, it's rapid. And they said it's the fastest lap was set by Juan Pablo Montoya going 260.6 kilometers per hour in a practice. Um they're saying tires are full thorough for 80% of the lap and it's I mean it, it's just going to be interesting with the chicanes and good breaks so you know it'll be interesting to see how tire strategy comes into play um I and I'll get those for you in a moment with the um what the tires will be for that but it's going to be very interesting this weekend going into it and ken mercedes we were talking about with perez get you know get out of that funk and have a really good race that cuts into that that lead red bull oh red bull yeah sorry
0: thank you no worries
1: um, you know, Mercedes lead, but Red
0: Bull needs to cut into that lead. One thing I think is going to be an interesting story pretty much right off the bat is you got to figure the stretch coming out of turn 11, going through that straightaway past the, the line up to where turns one and two hit, you know they're going to be flying up to those turn and I think that's going to be your spot where the brakes are really going to come into play. Oh yeah. Yeah.
2: Yep. I'll be very curious to see what the trap speeds are going to be there too. Um, I want to go fast,
0: real fast. Yeah.
1: yeah. And entire and, and compound is C2, C3, and four. So medium hard will, will be your hard. Um, medium is is your medium. And then a medium soft is going to be your softest. So. Um, tires I'm gonna say are gonna come into play. I don't doubt
2: Definitely. that one bit. Yep, especially and the only way I see the sauce working is if you take an epic overcut and have like maybe 15 or 20 laps left in the race to oh, f-
1: fastest lap. Yeah, which if Red Bull's kick in Mercedes' butt, that's what they're gonna do,
2: or vice versa.
1: Oh yeah, same here. Yeah, Yeah. or or you see one of these other teams who needs to get a point here. Yeah, to you know, try to try to take it. I mean, can't you? I mean, look at McLaren. You can't factor out them for trying to steal a fast lap on you.
2: Nope. And you know, talking about factoring, you know, not factoring other other people out. It's important to remember that the defending race winner at this track is Pierre Gasly. Um, he was driving for Alpha Tori last year and he is still with them and he, he is coming off a fourth place finish at Zandvoort. So he's got some momentum coming into this race as well. So I think he's going to be one of these dark horse candidates for the win. And I definitely wouldn't overlook him. Additionally, um, Looking at Ferrari and how they did here last year, according to racingreference.info, neither of them finished the race. Um, Vettel was out after six laps with breaks, and uh, Leclerc crashed on lap 23 in turn 11. So this is a team that is looking to make a big statement on their home track as well. So um, And they've got some some decent speed. They've definitely improved over last year. So I'll be very curious to see how they do this weekend also.
1: Yeah, I'll most certainly see how Ferrari does, but we'll see what happens when practice starts to come out later this week and we'll, we'll start getting a good idea. Yep.
2: Now let's, uh, let's take a look at another important in, uh, open wheel race happening this weekend. This is IndyCar and the Grand Prix of Portland. Um, This being the famous Portland road course um, up in Oregon that has seen many an open wheel race um, over the years. Um, First with CART back in the 90s and mid 2000s. And then here with the NTT IndyCar series in 2018 and 2019. They didn't go up there in 2020, I believe because of the pandemic. Um, But before that, um, you had uh, two races there, um, like I said, uh, 18 and 19, Sato won in 18, and then uh, Will Power won in 2019. So, um, David, I'll be curious to hear your thoughts, but just on that alone, I think um, Team Penske will probably be one of the early favorites, and uh, maybe uh, Andretti as well. I, um, I believe Sato, uh, that's, that's who he races for now, so I think they'll, they'll probably be an early favorite on that basis also.
1: Well, so let's talk about it. It's a 110 lap race. Remember, uh, it's 216 uh, miles. This is a track that sees a lot of good racing. I mean, Alan Ser Jr. won the first IndyCar race, um, according to IndyCar.com, in 1984. um, In 97, the race set the now current all-time record for the closest two-car and closest three-car finishes. Uh, Mark Blundell beat Jill DeFerrin by 0.027 of a second and beat Raul Boissel by 0.055 thousandths of a second in a three-wide finish. This track is going to be very interesting This is actually going to be on NBC this weekend. Uh, It's a 3 p.m. start. And remember, we have a very tight points race here going into this. Pedro Award is 10 points ahead of Alex Palou, 22 points ahead of Joseph Newgard. But don't cut out Scott Dixon. Remember, three races to go. Portland, Laguna Seca, Long Beach. Out on the West Coast, all road courses. Um, Long Beach is a street course. So these guys, you know, the top four all have a shot of winning it, considering the winner gets 53 points. And if you finish last, if there's 24 cars, you're ending up in in single digit points with like six. So if you think about if you think about that and the way the point structure goes, you know, make a you know, have a bad day at Portland. And, you know, if Ward or Paloo or Newgarden, you know, have a bit or Dixon have a bad day at Portland. This makes or breaks it for them. So it's going to be very interesting. It is a, a track that, um, you know, the, the IndyCar says there's several passing up trees. It's flat, it's 12 turns. So there's a quick chicane at the end of the front stretch and um, hard braking right hander turn seven, leading onto a sweeping back stretch and a three turn complex leading back onto the front stretch and looking at racing reference um looking at um portland and and this and the things that have happened there with indycar yes you you have mentioned that cart um in indycar sato who drives for uh ray hall now ray hall langan larman or ray hall lemon langan and, I mean, Will Paro who drives for Penske, are your previous race winners there. But, I mean, Sebastian Bourdais has won there. He won in 07. Um, and he won in 04. So, I think going into this weekend, um, I'm not counting out McLaren. But I'm also not counting out Ganassi and Penske. I think... It comes down to uh, Palu needs to get his mojo back after the the past couple of races and the uh, stuff that has happened to him um, at IMS at Gateway. Uh, same with Dixon. He just, I mean, Ganassi needs a um, needs the. Um, Needs to be defibbed here to get them going. And if they have a great run, this would be it. But if Pato Ward or Penske really outshines them, especially McLaren, I think this could open up the champion. It's going to either uh, slowly dim the lights on Ganassi's dominance and the championship hopes. Or it's going to open it wide up, or it's going to make it more wide open going into Laguna Seca. So, guys, your thoughts on that. Ryan, let's start with you.
0: Like, honestly, if uh, Paulu can't shake it off and get back into his groove in this race, it could be the end of the season for him. But one person to always be keeping a weather eye on as of recent is Will Power, being that he won the last time they ran here. And he's been doing pretty well late in the season. So, again, somebody else you can't afford to count out because he could come out of nowhere and notch another win in his belt.
1: And he finally got, his, he finally got momentum winning at
0: IMS. Exactly. On, on the road course. He may not be coming in with as much uh momentum as new garden but he is uh not anywhere near the back of the pack either
1: yeah
0: elliot your thoughts
2: um i think it's going to be a really interesting race it's going to be a really fun race um david you talked about how um how close some of the finishes here have been over the years um and i think this is you know going to be an ideal place for it um you know, as you've touched on, this track has a little bit of everything. You've got fast, you've got slow, you've got braking zones, you've got technical parts of the track. Um, so there's there's going to be enough there for everybody. Um, and you know, looking at at um, heading into this weekend, I think Team Penske is riding a lot of momentum coming in here. So I think they're the first ones you need to look at. Um, now, in terms of how that jives with the points. Um, you know, there's not really, you've got new garden up there and that's really about it. I'm not looking at anybody else, um, past fifth place Marcus Erickson to be a threat for the championship this year. I don't think it's, it's realistic. Mathematically it's still feasible, but, um, I don't see willpower, um, rising from the ashes of what has been an absolute disaster piece of a season for him thus far um, to even with his, his recent win at Indy um, I, I don't foresee him doing anything uh, to contend for the, the championship, unless all five of these uh, the top five of the uh, points just completely fall on their head here in the next couple of races. Um, with that said um, I think it's a track where new garden can run really well. Um, you know, we've talked about the need for Palo to, um, to find some solid footing again, this could be a good track for him to do that. Um, you know, we've seen him win on, uh, on road course before, so could happen here. Um, you know, maybe you talked about Scott Dixon, um, and you know, him, uh, running well on these tracks too. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, this, this one is, uh, um. You know, I think kind of wide open. Um, you know, probably see some interesting strategies and stuff here too, as we often do on uh, on these road course events. But um, I think at the end of the day, um, it's going to be Team Penske and then everybody else trying to get them.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting because it's going to make or break. I mean, because you go into Laguna Seca next, and then you got Long Beach, which I mean, if this is the race that I I will say, this may be the race that determines the championship because because Laguna Seca is a tough track. Look at Rossi a a few years ago trying to win it. I think he was in, you know, trying to go up against Dixon and all that um or new or i think it was rossi and new garden my bad or it was one of the penske guys um he couldn't i mean laguna seca was tough um for them and same with long beach which it's a street course so if you have a bad day at long beach uh, bad qualifying effort I think this is the race that may eventually determine the championship. So whoever comes out on top, um, it, it's going it, to, it's going to be. So with that said, gentlemen, you know, we, we we've had our green segment here and, you know, it's going to be a very exciting race weekend, you know, Saturday night, Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, Get your DVRs out, let, you know, watch it, um, and it's going to be really fun, but let's uh, move towards our final thoughts, and we wanted to touch back about something that happened at Darlington and Kyle Bush. Elliot, why don't you explain what happened, and let's talk about this in, in final thoughts.
2: Yep. So, um, so Kyle Busch uh, wasn't having his best race at Darlington. Um, you know, it wasn't exactly um, uh, you know a backmarker, but wasn't having a very good day. I think he was running um, you know somewhere uh, around tenth, fifteenth, um, and he had contact with uh, Austin Dillon coming out of turn two. Um, and much as what happened with uh, with Michael McDowell earlier in the day. Um, the car got away from him, and he hit the turn to wall very hard, and that was the end of his day. Um, and uh, coming down pit road, um, as he is wont to do sometimes, he was very dejected um, and very angry and drove into the garage in a way that more than a few people would probably argue wasn't the safest um, and most appropriate way. Um, and so um, after going to the garage and going to the uh, infield care center. Uh, he came out and did an interview and um, uh, uh, some of his language was in, you know, could be said was in poor taste for um, uh, for the national audience and and um, uh, expressed some real frustration with the way that uh, the car ran um, and some of the prep work that went into the weekend, um, not really um panning out as as they thought so um so he definitely got some people talking um after the race and i mean he's got us talking here um you know our with our final thoughts for this evening so um so let's talk about um uh his actions um what they mean um you know if there's any consequences to come from it and um what it means for his playoffs going forward. So, um, David, why don't you go ahead and start us off?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I was mentioning this earlier before, um, you came in on this and we were talking about Darlington and Bob Packers did say today on Twitter that NASCAR is, uh, will review the weekend and, and it sounds like they will review it because he didn't get called to the hauler. Um, I understand frustration. I understand w- w- with Kyle Bush and the um and the frustration that happened. I mean, you you know, you know, Gibbs is competitive. He's you know he you know he usually goes to tracks has good the season he's had probably hasn't been his best season um you know how ticked off he got at atlanta with um his brother and and ross chastain um you know the things that he does sometimes makes you question and i I am going to say it. This was stupid on his part. This was a stupid move to do. You don't go into a pit, a hot pit area like that. He got very lucky. He didn't hit somebody because you could see the official trying to clear people out of the way. Um, And then what he did in the interview after, I mean, you, 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 you cursing that okay i understand that's fine it's live tv sometimes that's gonna slip but what you did beforehand was stupid and i really think nascar needs to hold him accountable i don't know why they didn't call him to the hauler but it, it could very well be that it's something that they want to review a little bit later maybe it's something they need to talk to joe gibbs about but kyle bush's conduct at times makes you question it, it plays into his driving style sometimes as well and i, I mean i said to you guys and you know i called him a oh, oh, horse's ass yesterday when i messaged you guys about that and i i i think i i think what nascar needs to do is they need to set an example Interview one thing that's fine i understand but when you go like that into the garage area and a hot you know and and when it's a hot pit and there's people trying to get sets of tires ready there's people crews wheeling things back and forth not not to mention you have guests there along with teams who may be trying to go from one pit stall to another, you know, teams that have multiple cars, i.e. Hendrick, who had that one driver at one end of pit road and, and Kyle Larson at the other, if you think about it, um, it's stupid. And if NASCAR doesn't take action, then... I think that fails what, what integrity they have, especially if they're trying to build the fan base. Um, Kyle Busch's actions, how he's acted like on the track has led to amateur sure drivers act in that same way, um, which is stupid because it discourages from people to get into racing because they don't want to be around stupid people um it's just stupid and i hope nas i think what nascar needs to do is take away his points for darlington and say you want to compete in the championship then you're gonna have to earn it by being smart and driving smart and not stupid
0: and that's what i've got for that Well. From what I saw, first, you know, I'm gonna play the devil's advocate to start out. I'm gonna put myself in his position. Any professional racer would agree with me on this. Nobody enjoys a day when you're out being bounced around inside your call like a inside your car like a pinball on crack. However, that does not excuse you to be that level of reckless when he was going down pit road and that's the only word that i can describe that it was reckless and more to the point it was stupid it's like you having a bad day doesn't give you a blank check to potentially hurt somebody or do worse because you got a four-wheel cannon shell going down there and if you're not even in that position on point at all times that's when bad things happen thank god bad things did not happen but it could have and all it takes is that split second of timing being off and his conduct in the interview afterwards while frustrations are a completely understandable thing nobody enjoys or relishes a bad day at the end of the day you are a professional and you need to conduct yourself as a professional and going down pit road, behind the wheel, and speaking in that interview, he failed both times. And I agree with you, Dave. I believe the penalties for both of those should be severe. Personally, if I was the one working my will, it's like, after that, yeah, your season's over. Pack up your car, pack up your stuff, go home. You're done. Obviously, I, I don't think it's going to be that severe because I am a realist, but um, as I said, if I could work my will and I was a decision-maker in NASCAR, that's what I think should happen. But again, that's just one fellow's humble opinion.
2: My thoughts are this. Um, Kyle Busch is known for having an attitude of, if I'm not winning, then what am I doing here, basically? So, um, you know, that They brought a car that wasn't a winning car. um, And especially apparently in light of some of the homework that they had done uh, leading up to this race and what the car ended up being on track, um, uh, apparently being much different than what, uh, what they were preparing for um, that on most any day is not going to set him in a good mood. Um, And then him getting hit and then uh, getting stuffed into the fence um, to end the day, the way it did, Um, you know, he was heading for a decent day otherwise, but not a day that he thought he, how he thought he was going to have. Um, But that was the, the wreck was just insult to injury. Now, to both your points about um, his conduct, um, you know, you talk about you know things being you know a matter of a split second this way or that way or whatever. Well, we also need to remember he had a damaged race car. That was why he was going to the garage in the first place. So who knows what would have happened had you know the steering not worked properly, the brakes not worked properly. Um, so there's there's that. And him needing to remember those things in going to the garage. Yeah, you're frustrated and and you know, mad that your night didn't go the way that you thought it would, and then it ended with a wreck. And now you're in a really deep hole in the next for the next couple of, of races. So there's that. But at the same time, common sense needs to prevail. And know that if you're going back to the garage and apparently not using a way that people are expecting, if there's cones in front of it, then you need to use your head as to how fast you go into the garage on that basis. So there's that. Um, And to both of your points, also, I have no doubt that there's going to be some phone calls had from NASCAR to Joe Gibbs and front and to Kyle Bush um, and probably from Joe Gibbs to Kyle Bush too because um, and that this is for a couple other things too but um, you know that's that's not good and that can't be repeated um, you know Ryan to your point about uh, you know the the severity of the penalty that he should face we should also remember um, you know Kyle Bush's temper has, common, you know, has, has got him in trouble in the past and in incidents much more severe than this one. I'm thinking back to the truck race at Texas in 2011 when he hooked the championship contender, Ron Hornaday, into the fence under caution. And they suspended him for, I believe it was two races um, on the cup side. And that was it. He was able to race the last race of the season, I believe, that year. So um, the, another notable thing out of that incident was that M&M said, we're not, we're not running on, uh, on the car. Uh, I forget how long it was for, but uh, Interstate Batteries stepped in and um, sponsored the 18 for uh, the next period of time. Um, but there could have been a time where the 18 went to the track without a, um, without sponsors on the side of the car and M and M's was on the side of the car here at Darlington. So it'll be interesting to me to see if there's any, uh, impacts, um, on the sponsor side. But, um, as far as the interview goes, um, you know, like you, both you talked about, you know, frustrations happen, um, and, you know sometimes those spill out into um onto you know onto the camera and it's happened before you know there have been times where you know we, we look back on it and you know have a laugh or see it as a, an iconic moment or whatever and I'm thinking in particular about um uh Ward Burden at Bristol uh back in 2004 I think it was so um but um that's another thing that Joe Gibbs does not think very highly of um, is profanity being uh, spoken of on the radio, number one, and number two, especially on camera. So I think there might be some uh, some consequences there. And then there's also the matter of Kyle Bush just completely threw his team and Toyota and their simulation program all under the bus and then yeah. backed up. Drove over top of him, backed up, and drove over top of him again, and then took back off for Charlotte. So there's that matter too. Um, we also need to remember that Kyle Bush has not had some very good luck here since winning the championship in 2019. Um, he had a, a, a rough stretch during the playoffs in 2020, and from what we're seeing here, looks like he's having a, a you know a rough start to the. 21 playoff uh, campaign as well. So um, he's certainly got some work to do to try and do his part to unite his team, unite his manufacturer, and his his hands are going to be very, very sore the next few days because he's going to be swinging a hammer quite a bit trying to mend fences. Um, But in terms of what NASCAR may do with him, as um, possible, they may, um, you know, levy a, a points penalty of some kind um, for, you know, uh, unsafe acts and, you know, conduct, uh, you know, the all-encompassing conduct detrimental to to stock car auto racing. Um, and it could be for the amount of points that, you know, few as they were that he earned um, during the, uh, the race at Darlington. Um, and going forward, you know, let's... Let's see how things go. Has it been the worst thing that he's done? No, not by a long shot. But, um, and will it get him suspended? Highly unlikely. But um, what does it do for for him and his team going forward? That's the big question.
1: Yeah. And and that's the one thing is at least he, I mean, when he did the interview, he didn't blame Austin Dellett. He didn't throw Austin Dillon under the bus or anything, um, and he very really well could have. He could have. He could have yeah. threw him out, but he he didn't. But again, it is Kyle Bush. It is the, the the actions that he he's taken? Remember, Kurt, the action. It, Jimmy Spencer said it best on the Dale Jr. download. The things with Kurt Busch and the things he did at Roush and the things he did at Penske and Spencer warned um, Penske about him. Remember, it cost Penske, it it, it cost Kurt Busch a few rides. Mm. So, you know, it's just the nature of these two guys. Kurt's just gotten smarter. Kyle has it and if it's going if you're gonna be like that and we'll we'll see what comes down it'll be very interesting but yeah we'll just have to see what comes down with that
2: yeah or he could turn right around and you know win going away this weekend at Richmond you know there's a reason they call him KFB why he calls himself kfb so (laughs) we'll see
1: yeah we'll we'll, we'll see what happens let's see what nascar says first yep now so
2: um ryan any uh any more thoughts
0: uh not really no not to add to anything that i've said or that both of you gentlemen have both so eloquently stated
2: very good well um that'll certainly be a storyline to watch this coming weekend but um you know as we've talked about before there's a lot of interesting racing to watch this weekend so we hope you all enjoy it and we look forward to coming back on the other side and talking about it all and uh spotlighting some other great uh, um, uh, great stories um in the motorsports community as well so um for episode number 28 of from checkered to green this is Elliot Tardif saying thanks very much and we look forward to Uh, having your time and attention again on episode number 29. Thank you.
1: I'm David Moy. Thank you for listening and check us out uh, on on podcast.com and iTunes and listen to our previous episodes as well.
0: And I'm Ryan Kolpak. I appreciate everyone who takes the time and trouble to hear what we have to say. Thank you all very much and we will catch you on the next round. This is from Checkered to Green. Thanks for listening to the Checkered to Green podcast. For more information, check out our Facebook group, Checkered to Green Podcast. Tune in next time for more insight into the racing business with the Checkered to Green podcast. <laughs>